like to welcome everyone on this lovely, beautiful December morning. What a marvelous month we're having here. History making. History making. I do not believe that anyone needed to wear a winter coat yet in, in the month of December. And of course, uh, I, I could be wrong on that, but I don't think that it's been cold enough to really say that we've had winter yet in December. And that's kind of rare. We'd like to uh, just to let everybody know how welcome you are. And uh, just to make sure that you know you're a part of a family. I'd like to tell you a little story about a, an old farmer and his wife that lived many, many years ago. And uh, it was before they had all kinds of means and of controlling flies in the house. One day the wife complained, said, you know, we've got too many flies in this house. And the old farmer said, well, give me your fly swatter and let me have at it. So just within a minute, he took a couple swats and said, I've already killed six flies, four females and two males. His wife looked at him and said, now, wait a minute. You counted four and two, that's six, okay. How'd you know they were male and female? He said, easy. Four of the flies collected on the telephone, two on the gun rack. <laughs> Beloved, if you would today, if you would join your hearts and minds today, we're going to be in a subject today that we need God's help on. So let's pray. When, when, when you're ready to do anything that's important, and this is important, we need to pray. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have said in your word, in the very words of Jesus, you have said, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which is greater than all, has them in his hand as well. O oh Lord, my God, on this occasion we come to Thee, merciful Father, in a very tumultuous, disordered, chaotic time of history. And we, Your covenant children, look for stability. We look for peace among ourselves, and we look, O oh God in heaven, for anchors to hold us as this unfolding storm of the ages blows and the waves grow higher and the waters become more tumultuous in the wickedness and the storms of this world. Help us to be anchored in sound doctrine, O Lord my God. And you have said, Father in heaven, except a man, except it be given him from heaven, a man can know nothing. And everything that we do know is so far from knowing what we ought to know. And so it is with the subject at hand, Lord God. No one can ever truly understand the incomprehensible nature of the one true God. So living God, send your Holy Spirit this morning among us. Empower us all in the blessed name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. This morning, beloved, we're going to be talking about the Trinity. The Trinity. One God in three persons sharing the same essence or nature and being of the one true and ever-living God. How many of you feel settled and comfortable with a doctrine called the Trinity? Can I see your hands big and high? Well... <clears throat> at least many of you, 
Now, I'd like to remind the congregation that if we roll back the clock 500 years, and I turn to my little prayer book, and it contains the articles, famous articles called the 39 articles, and these 39 articles reflect almost every single statement of the Reformation Fathers, who down to a absolute unified group believed in the doctrine of the Trinity. So let me read article number one, and that's page 227 from the prayer book. Hear ye, hear ye. 500-year-old statement. There is but one living and true God, everlasting without body, parts, and passions of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things both visible and invisible, and in unity of this Godhead. Now don't let the word Godhead disturb you. It's in the Bible three times. In the unity of this Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. 500 years ago, that statement was written into the Anglican Confession, and it was the unified thinking of the Reformation world. And they were some very renowned theologians. I'd like to also read from the Westminster Confession, 1647, when a whole big giant body of white Anglo-Saxon theologians convened at Westminster in England from many European quarters and wrote the Westminster Confession. And I'd like to read from one statement. This is chapter 2 and verse number 3. In the unity of the Godhead... There be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none. The Father is of none. Neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now, 1647 was a, quite a long time ago, not too long after America was founded. When the pilgrims stepped off the Mayflower, they were Trinitarian. When Jonathan Edwards considered the greatest preacher of colonial America... The number one theologian in America at the time was an ardent Trinitarian. Every Protestant reformer, everyone with any real biblical background and knowledge was Trinitarian. Now, for the benefit of the congregation, we have always been Trinitarian here since the church was established in Pine Grove, Colorado in 18. Correction in 1936. So we're always, we've always been Trinitarian, and in the back of every watchman that's been published, you will find we believe in the Trinity. It, it says right clearly, we are Trinitarian. Now, why are we Trinitarian? Why, why do we need to talk about this? Well, there's a big reason why we need to. Because it is becoming one of the most forgotten doctrines in the world today. I repeat that, one of the most forgotten doctrines in the world today. And in one religious pew held by one of the major theological institutions of the country, they found out that in this pew, 72% of Christians, professing Christians, did not either A, believe in the Trinity, 
B, did not understand it. And three, had C, had no interest in it. So we're in a crisis, church. And you can label it a doctrinal crisis. May I say to this congregation, there is nothing. And I go on record to my Father in heaven as telling you that there is nothing that will, sta that will do this congregation more in the eyes of God and in the favor of His love and saving us from the four sore judgments. And I'm not saying this to uh, chasten anyone into believing that without the doctrine of the Trinity you may be in danger. But I will tell you this without hesitation. Throughout all of history, Christian history, anti-Trinitarian people have not been considered Christian. I just made a statement that's going to cost me some friendship, maybe. Pray, I pray God it won't. But we live in a time when there's fewer and fewer people that will stand on sound doctrine. And if you don't know that, it's time you knew that. We're living in a wishy-washy, cotton candy, marshmallow fluff time of church doctrine. When nobody wants to know what doctrine really, sound doctrine really is. Well, I'll tell you, woe unto us if we don't teach our children sound doctrine. So I don't know where our boys and girls are this morning, but I pray that all of them will listen intently and will jot down scriptures if you please. So what we would like to do is begin this study by asking this question. Everybody knows, if you know your Bible, that the Bible teaches from the beginning of the Hebraic Christian Bible, Old and New Testament, from the beginning to the end, the Bible teaches but there is but one God. That's a foundation point for beginning to understand the Trinity. You can never make the Trinity be three separate gods. It is never under the sun one plus one plus one equals three gods. That is called tritheism. And there's a, a lot of Christians that are into tritheism. That's not Trinitarian. Now, we know that God is incomprehensible, people. God is incomprehensible. And I feel about as out of place teaching this lesson as anyone could feel. Because it is... There's an old saying that little ships should stay close to shore lest they venture out into sea and destruct. And I want to I make sure that I don't venture out so far into the sea of Bible information that I in any way disparage the truth of the one true living God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me say this. If we had the time this morning to go through the Old and the New Testament to vindicate, authenticate that there's only one God, we would do that. Now we'll give you some sample scriptures, but the greater goal is to show that in the one sovereign incomprehensible, infinite, ever-living, eternal God in the nature of His being, there are three persons. Now you have to be very cautious here because the word persons in theology has a different meaning than you looking at the person sitting next to you. And this doctrine is so simple a child can understand it, but it's profound enough that the sharpest and the best theological minds in 2,000 years of history are still trying to understand the incomparable nature of the God who created heaven and earth. 
So we're going to look now, and we're going to try and describe the, the importance of understanding that no matter what you do with the being of God, you can never make him more than one. Whatever you do, you can ne never make God more than one God. There is only one God. Now that's called monotheism. Mono equals one. Theism equals God. Mono, one. Theism, God. So monotheism was a gift from God to the Hebraic people before any other people on the planet ever heard of a triune God, Israel was given that truth. I want you to think about that. The idea of the triunity or trinity, triune God, was Israel's possession from the beginning. And now we have people embracing the Israel truth who don't want a foundational belief that goes with Israel people. So I consider that to be very, very sad. So we're laying a foundation here, so let's move forward real quickly. Let's go to the beginning of the study of monotheism. There is but one true living God. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 1, verse 1. What do you say? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's all we need to do. In the beginning, God, not a plethora of gods. You know, every pagan nation in the world have a plethora of gods. The Hebra Hebraic Israelites, your Hebrew ancestors, always believed in one God. And it was the most alarming, shocking thing in the ancient world to believe that there was only one God. And when that God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, it shook the foundations of the Greeks and the Romans and even the Hebrews. When a man called Jesus appeared on the scene of history. So, if we turn to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, if you do that. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 is called the most foundational verse in the Bible, Old and New Testament, on monotheism and tritheism. The doctrine of the Trinity, founded on one God, found in the Shema of Israel, meaning, Hear, O Israel. That's the Shema. Hear, O Israel. That's hear, Hebrew. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, one Lord. Hear, O Israel, Jehovah. There are people who would say, hear, O Israel, Yahweh. But we're going with the King James Bible. Hear, O Israel, Jehovah our God, that's Elohim, is one Jehovah. And then if I go to Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, I could read this. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that Jehovah, he is God. There is none else beside him. That's pretty emphatic. None else beside him. That was Deuteronomy 4.35, I'm sorry. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. This is Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is 
no God with me. I want you to know there's, God is saying, there's no one else with me. I am God. I'm self-existing. I'm uncreated. I have always been. I have no beginning. Now we know the law, if we stayed in the books of the law, we, we would confirm monotheism. But what happens if we go to the prophets? What would the prophets say? So let's see. Let's go to, well, let's check out Isaiah 43.10 and verse 11. Isaiah 43.10 and 11, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, Jehovah. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he before me, Listen, there was no God formed. Before me, there's no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. Sorry to all those who believe they're going to become God someday. That door just got locked and bolted shut. Before God, there was no God formed. Because he's always been. And after him, there shall never be another God. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 46. Uh, Isaiah 43, 10 and 11, I'm sorry. And here's another statement. Listen to this one. I'll give you the recitation in a moment. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. Whoa. Isaiah 46, 9. I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 46, 9. I am God and there is none like me. Consider the last phrase of Isaiah 44, verse 6. And then verse 8. I am the first... And I am the last. In the Greek, that would be Alpha and Omega. Beside me, there is no God. And the last phrase of verse 88, chapter 44, Isaiah. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. And let me give you one more. From Isaiah 45, 5 and 6. I am Jehovah and there is none else. There is no God beside me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west. That there is none beside me. I am Jehovah and there is none else. Case closed. There is no room in the Bible for multiple gods. So if I arrive at the New Testament, hear me now. I arrive at the New Testament and I want to make everyone know I believe in one God. That's great. But I also believe that Jesus was God, another God. If you say Jesus was God, you're good. If you say he was another God, beside the one true God, you're wrong. You say, well, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I don't believe the Holy Spirit is God. You're wrong. Your theology is shallow. Got too many marshmallows in it. So, Maybe we ought to look at Jeremiah 10.10 10 just before we just forget. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 10.10. 10. Now, this is very good because it comes at the end of Jeremiah's dissertation against the worship of the tree. The evergreen tree or whatever tree you want to put bells on. Jeremiah 10.10, 10, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. But the Lord Jehovah is the true God. Whoa. He is the living God. 
He's an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Now verse 11 is interesting. Jeremiah says, Then shall ye say unto them, to the heathen around them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth even, they shall perish from the earth and from under the heaven. Jeremiah says, To all you pagan gods, you idols, you're going to all perish. Because there's only one true living God. So that's very good. Psalm 96 verse 5 says, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but Jehovah made the heavens. Pretty good, isn't it? In 1 Chronicles 16, 26, For all the gods of the people are idols, but Jehovah made the heavens. Now, if we want to go into the New Testament, and we could do that easy, we can take up a little too much of our time here just reading and multiplying verses. But I would like for you to just take this sampling in your notes. If you will read Mark 12, 29 through 32, and the words of Jesus, he will repeat Deuteronomy 6, 4 and tell you, there is but one God. In the words of St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, he, the apostle, will tell you there is but one God. In Ephesians 4, 5, there is but one God. In James, another apostle, chapter 2, verse 19, there is but one God. And I will take the liberty of quoting 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is one mediator between God and man. the man Christ Jesus. If the Bible teaches there is but one eternal God, so for the benefit of our children, how did we end up becoming Trinitarian? Now folks, listen. Please. I don't have, I don't have the ability to understand an incomprehensible God. But I do know this, that a lifetime spent in this Bible has proven beyond all question to me. And I have never studied any doctrine so much and so carefully as this one. I've occupied my mind with this doctrine for endless days and hours, for endless days and years. If the Bible teaches monotheism, there is only one God, how do we end up with a triune God? Is that a fair question? I think it's a fair question, and it deserves an answer. And if it cannot be defended from the Bible, then we, bought it. we better close our Bibles and get on our knees and say, God, show us. Show us and help us to understand this wonderful God who created the heavens and the earth. So how then did our fathers, 2,000 years ago, how did the Lord Jesus, when he walked the earth, and he was ready to leave the earth, and he said, Go ye therefore into all nations. Go ye therefore into all nations. Help me now, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Jesus left us with the Trinity in baptism. Jesus, the Son of God, who was the second person of that Trinity, gave us the baptismal formula. Do you know there's a world of people that do not accept those words. Well, shame on them. It's their loss, not their gain. Now, I've got to answer this question, folks. And if I don't get it answered, then I should have passed out some rotten tomatoes. 
Because if I can't answer this question, I do not belong behind this pulpit. And I should surrender my place behind this pulpit. So how did monotheism embrace tritheism? And the truth is, it never did. Because tritheism is not what we believe. Now, folks, listen. Do you know the primary reason? I, want to, I, I, I pray you'll, you'll not be offended when I say this. The, my, the primary reason that most people are so confused about God today is because of the culture that we live in. It's called skepticism, unbelief, atheism, doubting, and ignorance. That's why people do not embrace the Trinity. Skepticism, agnosticism, atheism, and just plain down ignorance. Now we'll leave a little room for those who are just plain stupid. Now there's a lot of people that believe, and I know they believe this sincerely, I've dealt with them. They believe that only because of the ancient church creeds and councils does anyone believe the Trinity. I've heard that. And it's not true at all. The Trinity, triunity of God was believed in the first century. It's all over the New Testament. Before there ever was a council in Nicaea, 325 A.D. Before ever there was an Apostles' Creed. There were manuscripts written by the Apostles that embraced the triunity of God. One God and three persons. But hold on. And may I also say that no one man has ever been the author of the Trinity. And so I herewith today... Refute the idea that Constantine the Great, if he was great, he certainly was not great because he authored the Trinity. Because the Trinity preceded him by 300 years. And if we want to get down to earth, it preceded him by all the years between the creation of time and when he was born. Now, the truth is, people, now you, I didn't ask anyone to agree with me. But I, I want to thank you. You're, you're listening, and that's good. I don't see anyone, and I got new glasses, that's not listening. I believe that everyone is listening. I'm not saying that everyone is believing me, but I know that everyone is listening, and that's good enough. The doctrine that makes Christianity Christianity is the triunity of God. And without the Trinity, you don't have Christianity. It's no different than all the rest of the religions of the world. Throw it away. That's how fundamental this doctrine is to understanding the Bible and to knowing what Christianity is. Now, the Bible is the only data bank for Christians to build their lives upon. Do you agree? If we're going to sit in front of a computer and, and program in data, the Bible is the data bank. And that's the only data bank we have. We're not sola scriptura, the Bible alone. We're not going to build our understanding of God out of any other source. I don't need opinions. And you certainly don't need my opinion today. And you don't need any other, anyone else's opinion. You need the, the word of God, the authoritative, undisputed word of God. That's what you build your life upon. Because when the, when, the, when the rains pour and the floods come and the winds blow, your faith will hold you in place. And the Trinity is, is one of the anchor points that will hold you when the storm rages. So let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the book of beginnings. And here we are in the book of Genesis chapter number one. In the beginning, God created. 
the heaven and the earth. What is the Hebrew word for God there? Elohim. Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. That is a plural noun. The first use of the word God introduced the triune nature of God. More on that in a moment. So, that is an interesting concept, and we need to hold on to that, and we'll come back to that. Now, Genesis 1, verse 2 says something most interesting. When we begin to read the Scriptures, beloved, and try to understand God, the Bible becomes interesting, and very, very quickly. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, verse 2 Verse 1 introduces us to the possibility of the triune nature of God. Elohim is a plural down. But look what verse 2 says. Genesis 1-2. Very dangerous. It is dangerous to read your Bible and not believe it. So what does the Bible say in verse 2? And the Spirit of God moved hovered upon the face of the waters. Psalm 104, verse 30 says the Spirit, Holy Spirit created the world. He's part of the creation process. The Spirit of God. We're already identifying one of the members of that triune God, and we haven't left Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 yet. The Holy Spirit was active in the creation. Now, Jesus was a primary actor in the creation. Now, hold on. We just read that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then we read that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the waters and was bringing order out of the chaos and disorder of the universe. And then what do we read about Jesus? Listen carefully now. We're building the triune nature of the one true God. Ephesians 3, 9. Ephesians 3, 9. And to make, God, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. The mystery which has been hidden from the beginning of the world. That hath been hid in God. Hid in the one true God. Hidden in the word God. That's Elohim. Who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now wait a minute. Hey folks. We just read that in the beginning God created. We read in verse 2 of Genesis 1 the Holy Spirit's there. Well, that's creation. Now I'm reading... That God, who hath created all things by Jesus Christ. So now I have God and the Spirit and Jesus all in the created work of God. But what else do I read in the New Testament? New Testament, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners have spoken unto us in time past by the fathers, hath in these last days, help me if you've got your Bible turned to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Whoa! By whom all so he made the worlds. Well, let me give you one more. Colossians 1, 15. Speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Whoop! Did you catch that? 
Do you know that no one has ever seen the one true God in His essence? Do you, now well, I don't want to offend anyone, but do you know that people who only go around using the Tetragrammaton, do you know that the Tetragrammaton which is the name and the meaning of the one true God, the great I am that I am. If that's all you know about God, do you know that that God is incomprehensible to you and you can't know him? Do you know that no one has ever seen him? The triune nature of God is how God communicated the one true living God himself to his children. Oh, it's hard to figure this all out. Let me read this from Colossians 1, 15, beginning at verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, who by him, who by him, for in him, that's in Jesus Christ, for all things created that are in the heaven and in the earth. Wow, that's everything. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in Him should all the fullness dwell." For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Good news, and ye are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. That means in Jesus Christ, you, a believer, have authority over principalities and powers. And you can say, get behind me, Satan. And I bring down the stronghold of unbelief. I bring down the strongholds of vain imagination, slander, gossip, and un, 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 negative thinking. That's your power. Jesus is the head of all principality and power, and he said, in my name, you're complete and authorized to do a stand against that. Now, I'm going to give you one final scripture out of New Testament on the idea that the triune nature of God, Jesus, was on the scene in the beginning as creator. Does that mean that the one true God, the Father, is not there and on the, on the scene? Not at all. One God in three persons is in the creation. Now I'm going to give you what many consider to be, dear family, the single most important statement ever made from human lips by the Holy Spirit using those lips that have ever been found in all of history. The words that I am now going to quote turned the world of the first century upside down. And it required the next 350 years for these words to be processed. Now they're so simple that any one of our school children could be taught them. But they are so profound that they wrinkle the brows of the brightest. John 1, 1 through 3, in the, say this with me. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with Him. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, John 1, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if we move on to verse 18, 
No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath what? Declared him. Do you know why Jesus came to this earth? That we might know the great I am that I am. That he might be revealed in the one who bore his image. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, who upholdeth all things by the power of his word. Wow. Hebrews is a rich book. Written to Hebrews. Now, church, We're proving now that the one true God is triune. That's our goal. How did we move from the Trinity to the triunity? How did we go from monotheism to the belief in the triune nature of God? Well, let's go to Genesis 1, verse 26. Please, just move there. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, we have, a, we have a question here. Who is God talking to? Read that again. Let us make man in our image. Who is God speaking to? He's certainly not speaking to any of us. We were not creators. We are the created. God is the uncreated. I want to know who us and our are. Hey, English people, that, English grammar people, that is, those are what? Those are pronouns. What kind of pronoun? Possessive pronouns. They are plural pronouns. Us and our. Who is us and our? Who is God talking to? Talking about a triune nature of one God. Now, when it says we're made in His image and after His likeness, I want you to ask yourselves the question. Are you one person and you would say, yes. Does anyone think there are more than one? Anyone. Do you think you're more than one? Well, we know we have some mothers that are going to have children, so we're excluding them. But there's only one of whoever we are. I'm looking at, oh, let me look at uh, Mattatias. There's only one Mattatias sitting there. Do you see anyone else? Caleb, you see, how many Mattatiases do you see? One? One. Now, we're made in the image and after the likeness of God, are we or not? Do we believe what the Bible says? Can you turn in your Bible real quickly to 1 Thessalonians 5.23? And we could turn to a whole bundle of verses. But I'm just going to read one verse. To those who believe, another verse will not be required. To those who do not believe, more than one verse would not suffice. So here we go. 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how many Mattatiuses do we have? One. Does Mattatius have a spirit? You better, that's, without the spirit, the body is dead. Yeah, he's got spirit. Does he have a soul? How do you think he opened his Bible and functioned mentally? Will, intellect, and emotions. Yes. Does Mattatius ever get mad? Walk up and hit him without a cause and see if he's going to just remain reposed. Does he have a body to live in? He's a spirit, he's a soul, and a body. But how many Mattatiuses are there? One. 
There's one eternal God. There's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Ghost. But there's only one God. Well, we got to hurry along here, church, real quickly. Genesis 3.22. Genesis 3, verse 22. Man, we can't, even, we can't even get out of the early chapters of Genesis. Genesis 3.22. And the Lord God said, Jehovah Elohim said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. Oh, 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 I'm in trouble again. To know good and evil. Who is God talking to? He said, God's, God's in heaven. He says, let us go down and see what these people are doing building the Tower of Babel. What are they doing building a tower to, that's a ziggurat, to, to the pagan god? Let's go down and see, and then we'll decide what to do about it. Well, us and our, again, are those possessive pronouns, us and our. The triunity of God resolves all these problems. And without that doctrine, you will not be able to wiggle or squirm or find your way out of all these verses. So, as we really rush forward, you know the triunity of God is everywhere in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter number 6, verse 13, verses 1 through, uh, well, the entire chapter. But in Isaiah 6, there's a vision of the throne of God. And around the throne are the seraphims. And these seraphims, now incidentally, for the record, the word seraphim is a plural word. It ends in I-M with an S. Cherubim, Nephilim, all those words end in I-M like Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. Any word ending in I-M from the ancient Hebrew is a plural word. Just another proof of the word Elohim being a plural name, noun. Now the seraphims were singing something. What were they singing around the throne? They are at the highest, most sacred, most holy, most righteous place that anyone could ever be. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Three holies. I wonder why. I wonder why. The whole earth is full of His glory. Wow. But move on down to Isaiah 6, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. Who will go for us? Who? Who will go for us? This is God speaking. This is Jehovah the Almighty. Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. The Shema Israel. Here. Hear, O Israel, Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, Jehovah our Elohim, is one Jehovah. Now, I want you to look at that verse closely. Just look at it. Jehovah our Elohim is one Jehovah. Do you know that you just said there is one God in triunity? Elohim is is the triune nature of God. See, the Bible forces you into the Trinity. 
one of the several of the very, very best theologians in the Western world have said, the scriptures themselves leave me no option. I either believe the triune nature of God or I am left dialect on the sea of uncertainty in theological waters that will swallow me up. Now, if I say, like a lot of people have, I've heard say, well, yes, I believe in the Trinity. I believe God manifested himself as a person, manifested himself as Holy Spirit, manifested himself as Jesus, you know what that is called? It has a name. It's called modelism. Modalism. Modalism. It means that you believe that the one true God appeared in different modes. It would be like an actor with a bunch of masks playing different roles. So he, come out, he comes out wearing a mask as one person, goes backstage, puts on another mask and becomes... No. In the triune nature of God, there are three distinct persons from one sharing one eternal essence or being. Now, I would not expect anyone to just understand this at face value. Uh, you have to really study this out. And we, we could, we're just dipping our toe into the kiddie pool today. So, let's look then at The triune nature is God. Is It's not one plus one plus one. That's tritheism. It is one times one times one equals what? One. That's what it is. One times one times one equals one. One times Matthias times one times one Matthias is, is still Matthias one. But he's three. He's made in the image and likeness of God. He's spirit, soul, and body. Now, with those thoughts in mind, church, and I look at the brevity of time, and we're left here with the choice of whacking out a lot of material, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to end by giving you some quotations now from the New Testament scripture that I think will be convincing proof to anyone who needs convicted and convinced that there is but one true and ever-living God. So let's, let's do that, folks. Let's go to the very end of, of the lesson here, and we'll be bringing this to a close so here's what I'm going to do. For anyone in this house today that has doubts about the triune nature of the one God, let me bring on the apostles real quickly. Now remember Ephesians 2.20 says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So let's go to the apostles here. Let's go to the apostles let the apostles teach us. We don't need some preacher to tell us. We just need a preacher to tell us what the Bible tells us. So let's have John the Apostle just walked up here. John said in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter, comforter it's a person, has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth, we can never be without him. Which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Thank you, John. Can we call St. Paul the Apostle? Just took this stage. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. He ended 2 Corinthians with the word, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all evermore. Amen. 
Okay, let's, let's not leave Peter out. We call Peter up. Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes. Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. Sojourn, sojourners of the dispersion. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect. Here we go. According to the foreknowledge of, say it, God the Father. Through this, through what, what comes next? Through the sanctification of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Unto the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. God our Father is the Elector. Jesus the Son is the Redeemer. The Holy Ghost is the Sanctifier. And that's all of the unity of the triune God working to save us. Each one plays a role. None's greater, none's lesser. The Father chose you before the foundation of the world. The Son received you as, gift, as His gift from the Father. All the Father giveth me shall come to me, Jesus said. And I will lose none of them. Not one will be lost. They'll all come to me. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies them in a wicked world. The Holy Spirit wakes up with you every morning and shields you from the wickedness of this world. Well, beloved, I'm going to... I've got to read this one. This one here, I've got to read it into the record because it is the most controversial. Uh, controversial. John the Apostle, his apostle, apostle of love, you know that. But he is the most despised of all the apostles. Do you know that? And do you know why? He spent his whole, whole time telling you about who God is. For there are three that bear record in heaven. Three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Say it with me. And these three are one. You know a lot of people have removed that verse from their Bible. You wonder why all the new Bibles are coming out? That verse is one of them. They really hate that verse. But the next verse, and there are three that bear record in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three ag agree as one or in one. So that verse, the seventh verse says, there are three father the Father in heaven, the Word, the Word, the Father, and the Holy Ghost that are one. But the Spirit, the water, and the blood just agree. So there's, a, there's quite a difference there between those two. And I guess with this next verse we will end. So you may, if you have your Bibles in a case, you can begin to fold up your Bibles. And I'm going to go to the absolute, non-negotiable, non-controversial verse in the entire New Testament record for anyone who denies the triune nature of God. Here it is. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, the last two verses. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. He's coming up out of the water. Lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. The Father sending 
the Spirit in the form of a dove. Saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven. That's not the voice of the one being baptized. It's not the voice of the dove. It's the voice of that incomprehensible tetragrammaton that no one has ever seen, but now has revealed himself in the person of the triune nature of God. Blessed be God. A low voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so today, beloved, as we all stand and we're going to end in a prayer. You know, I can only say, I want to thank this congregation. You have been most attentive, and I, I want to thank you for your attentive nature. How many here today can leave feeling assured of your belief in the Trinity. Thank you. Well, may God be praised. And for all of our dear Israelite families all across America and all across the world, if you would like further information on this subject, please, by all means, let us know because we have barely, barely touched the surface of this most important doctrine. May God be praised. May His name be glorified. And may Satan be terrified today that Christians are armed with the triunity of the one living God. Oh,